I read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, the Word of God says, And when the women saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for the, the truth of your word. I pray as we walk through these scriptures tonight that you give us insight into the, the type of uh, people that we need to be uh, for thy glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Uh, tonight we're going to speak about <coughs> uh, some biblical examples of fatherhood. But if you're a mother, if you're a father, if, if you're a young person, you will find truth in each of these examples that would apply to our lives. This morning we talked about the most positive example that we have of fatherhood, and that is our Heavenly Father. And we learned about those traits of our Heavenly Father, the six times in the King James Bible where the, uh, the phrase is used, Heavenly Father. Many other times the word Father, capital F, is used. Often Jesus uh, speaking that, teaching us how to uh, think about our Father and, and our Heavenly Father. Tonight we're going to look at the other side of the coin, and that's negative examples of fatherhood. There's a lot of them in the Bible, uh, but tonight I want to talk to you on this subject, fatherly failures, fatherly failures. And I'm going to give you uh, just five of them. There's a lot of them in the Scripture. You know, you learn in two ways. First of all, we learn what to do. And then we also learn what not to do. I've had people in my life that have been shining examples of certain things. I've also had people in my life that have been, wow, I'm not going to do it like that. Uh, and it's important to know both. To see what we should do and what we should not do. And life is complicated, even in our own situations. We've probably had people that in some areas, may have been a great example of, wow, that's exactly how I'm going to do that. And then perhaps the same person in another area, we would say, I'm going to do that differently. And that is how we learn. But tonight we're going to look at these negative examples of fatherhood. Uh, and really, it's just examples of not being a very good Christian, not following what God said. Amen. And as a father, <clears throat> because we are... Uh, called on by God to lead and guide the family. And because we've been given so much uh, influence in the lives of our children, if a father goes wrong, it really affects the whole family. If a father chooses to follow God, uh, it affects uh, the whole family too. Studies tell us that when a father in a family gets saved... When a husband, father, and the family gets saved, 93% of the time, the rest of the family will follow him in following Jesus. Think about that. When a mom gets saved, the numbers are less but significant. When children get saved first, it's about 3.5% of, of uh, families that go on to follow the Lord when the children get saved first. So clearly we should be targeting and seeking to win adults, and then you get the rest of the family. And specifically, uh, men, Christian men, should go after men 
uh, to try to win men to Christ. And uh, it matters. And every man in this room, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir tonight, your, your testimony matters, whether you're a father or not. Uh, as our world gets more and more crazy, the need of principled men just grows exponentially. And if you will just be a man who is principled according to the word of God, you're honorable, you have integrity, you're diligent, you just rose to the top 1% of all men on the planet. Now think about that. That's, that's pretty amazing. Tonight let's look at these. I'm going to give you five examples of fatherly failures so we can learn what not to do. Of course, these, these would apply to mothers. These would apply to uh, anybody who's not a parent. Uh, and let's look at these. First tonight, we're going to look at Adam. Adam, of course, was the first man, Eve, the first woman. <clears throat> uh, Adam, in many ways, was the father of humanity. Eve is called the mother of all living. But the one thing Adam and Eve are known for is ruining everything. They did a lot of things right. But the one thing they're known for is plunging the world into sin. Uh, and that's the biggest failure of all, isn't it? I'm going to say number one tonight, Adam left a legacy of sin. Adam left a legacy of sin. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 again. Uh, and, the, and, and first let me just preface this, but we won't read verses 1 through 5, but the serpent comes into the garden, and this was not a serpent back then, as we know serpents now. Serpents now, the form they're currently in is because of the curse that God placed upon them for uh, being used of Satan. Uh, Satan comes into the garden in the form of the serpent. He deceives Eve. Satan's MO is always the same. He questions the Word of God. He contradicts the Word of God. And then he seeks to convince others to go against the Word of God. Uh, and we see that in verse 6. Uh, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desired to make one wise. Wait a minute, the Bible says we should walk by faith and not by sight. But she saw. Anytime you and I choose to go by what we see, trying to logic through spiritual things, we're always going to get ourselves into trouble. Uh, and so she saw it. She reasoned that it would be good. It was desirable. She took of the fruit thereof. And then the last uh, section here, and did eat, and there could have been a period there. There could have been a period where Adam shows up and what did you do? What happened? Oh, well, there's not a period, there's a comma, and it goes on to say, and gave also unto her husband with her. There could have been a period there. And the scripture go on to say, and Adam did not eat. Uh, well, that's not what it says, is it? It goes on to say, and he did eat. Verse 7, and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Verse 8, they began to hide from God because now they were in sin and aware of their sin. <clears throat> the Bible makes an, a distinction between the sin of Eve and the sin of Adam. I want you to hold your place here and look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I 
And the Bible gives us some more information on this <clears throat> subject. You see verse 12, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. <clears throat> it's God's plan that men would be the teachers in the church. Uh, a lot of church groups have gone to this idea that women can be pastors and such. Clearly the Bible teaches that that's not God's plan. It's not because they're not capable. It's not because they're not smart enough. It's because it's not God's plan. And that's a good enough reason. The Southern Baptist Church just had a, a big to-do over this uh, at their recent convention. And we're not Southern Baptists, we're Independent Baptists, but they just had a, a kind of an inward fight about some churches were saying, no, we're going to have women pastors, and the, the Southern Baptist Convention disallowed those churches and disfellowshipped them, basically saying, no, we're not going that direction. Uh, and God's idea here is that women should not teach men. It's not that they can't teach the Bible, it's that women should not be in positions of spiritual authority over men. Why? Because God has called man to be the spiritual authority. Now, I understand the plight of many women where if there's a vacuum of spiritual masculine leadership, then some ladies will step in. Oftentimes you find the Old Testament example of Deborah, uh, where people will look at Deborah and say, oh, well, she was mightily used of God. Yes, but what book was Deborah found in? Judges. Judges was the low point of Israelite history, where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. God can certainly use a lady, a godly woman, who steps up and the need is there, but it's not God's plan. And so here we find out a little bit about why that's God's plan. Uh, he says, verse 12, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. So the idea is ladies can teach children, ladies can teach ladies. Ladies should not be in spiritual authority over men in the church. Uh, God wants the men to lead. He goes on to say, look at verse 13. Two reasons why. Number one, for Adam was first formed and then Eve. You know, if God wanted to, he could have made woman first. He could have, but he didn't. You know why? It wasn't his plan. There's a lot of talk about the, the patriarchy today and, and uh, all the craziness that goes along with that. Now, a lot of the, the stuff that they say is, is ridiculous among that. But the idea of a, a, the idea of a, a masculine-led society actually goes all the way back to when God first created man and woman. That's his plan. Now, if you don't like that, that's not a problem between me and you. That's a problem between you and God. And men, it's also a problem because there have been way too many men that didn't rise to the occasion or that deeply failed and horribly failed along the way. But that doesn't mean we throw out God's blueprint. It means that we get back to God's blueprint. So God says there's two reasons why I want this to happen. The first is because Adam was first formed and then Eve. And then the second reason we find in verse 14, and Adam was not deceived... But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So God gives us here a distinction. Eve was deceived. Eve was tricked. Adam wasn't tricked. Adam chose to sin knowing it was sin. Now that's different, isn't it? It's one thing to be tricked into sin. It's another thing to look at it and say, I know this is wrong. 
but I'm going to do it anyway. And that was Adam's great sin. Adam left a legacy of sin. The Bible calls this presumptuous sin. It's all of us sin every day. I think most of the time we sin, we might not realize it. We might sin and realize it after the fact. But what what really hurts the heart of the Lord is when God's people say, I know this is wrong and I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's what Adam did. And so Adam technically plunged uh, all of humanity into a transgression and into sin. The Bible doesn't say this, but we can infer from the Scripture that humanity was not tainted with sin until Adam sinned. Adam was the representative for humanity. He was the one that God gave dominion. It's when the leader chose to sin that all of humanity was infected with sin. And even the earth itself, Romans chapter 8 tells us. Uh, Let me just show you something interesting here in verse 15. Notwithstanding, she, or the woman, shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Here's what the Bible's teaching here. That women will not find their great purpose in trying to usurp men. Women will find their greatest purpose in rearing their children for God. Feminism spent 50 years trying to teach women that you will be truly happy when you can live like a man. When you have a job like a man, you can dress like a man, you can talk like a man... The, the pay gap, all of those things. And there may be things that need to be addressed in there. But the lie is that you will be happy. If you can live the life of a man, you will be happy as a woman. And the, the Bible says that is patently false. The way ladies find true significance, true peace, and their greatest contribution to society is by being a mother. Is it any wonder now that... Satan and the world system is teaching women it's a bad idea to have children at all. There's a growing number of ladies, young ladies nowadays, that say they never plan on having children. And I think that's a sad thing. Because they're going to miss out on the greatest benefit they ever have. Every lady's superpower, you have a lot of gifts, but the one thing women can do that men can't do is have babies. And the one thing you can do better than us is be a mother. I've tried to be a a mom at times when my wife's so sick and I had to be mom and dad at the same time. I am a terrible mother. That doesn't mean that women can't work. It doesn't mean that, that your family can't decide certain things. It means never put, watch this, the great failure of men is stepping back and and not leading the way God called them. Huge mistake. And the great failure of women is trying to step up and lead instead of fulfilling their highest role. If you are a a wife and a homemaker, that is not a step down. That's a step up. If you are a mother who stays home to take care of your children... That, that's not that, you know, they often say, well, what do you do for work? Oh, I don't, I don't work. I'm just a mom. No, you have the hardest work of all. If you've ever had to try to take care of your children, 
I would much rather go to work and work 12, 16 hours a day than try to stay home and be mom, changing diapers, feeding, feeding kids and those types of things. The hardest job on the planet is being a good mother. And it's also one of the most rewarding. And every man says, I want to be the kind of man I can be and lead with confidence and take care of my family so my wife can step into her role and fill her uh, God-given role. Um, you know, the world is so crazy today. All this talk of, well, you're talking about traditional gender roles. No, they're, they're traditional roles that God made. Uh, and almost everything popular in our world today is the exact opposite of what God originally intended. And the sad thing is it's going to take some people 10, 20, 30, 40 years, a lifetime to figure out they're on the wrong path and they listen to the wrong people. When instead we can just go to the Word of God and say, no, God had it right at the beginning. And so the idea here, going back to Adam left a legacy of sin, Adam was not deceived, he chose to sin. And as such, Adam plunged the human race into thousands of years of sin and suffering. Let me help you, men. Uh, you have a sin nature. You have men are passionate creatures. We're aggressive. We're passionate. We have a lot of drive for the most part. Never allow your sin nature to drive you into sin and leave a legacy of sin. I know good men that did good for a lot of years and eventually they got into sin and the one thing people remember about them is their sin. And we don't want to do that. If you, if you start getting off track, make it right as soon as possible. If you can't conquer it yourself, get help, but stay on the right track. Adam left a legacy of sin. You know, I try to, I try to live a clean life so my, I don't leave a legacy of, of sin to my kids. My dad was a, a functioning alcoholic. I would probably be an alcoholic today. I have family members that are alcoholics. I, I could be a drunkard today. But I saw what was going on in some of my family, and I said, I don't want that. I have family members that, that smoked from the time they were 12 years old. And growing up, I thought, no, I don't want to do that. Dirty mouths and immorality and all these kinds of things and, and of the dirty jokes and the, the R-rated movies and, and all of this kind of stuff. There, there has to be some men that say, I don't care what the world says. I don't care if everybody says it's okay. I want to be clean. I want to try to do things right. And when I make mistakes, I want to get them right quickly. But I don't, with God's help, I don't want to leave a legacy of sin. Amen? There were also men who sinned, but that wasn't their legacy. Moses killed a man, but that's not what you remember about him. And so it's important that you leave a legacy of righteousness and not a legacy of sin. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. I just put these in Bible order and we're just going to look at a, a few of these. Boy, you could go through Kings and Chronicles and it's a fascinating study of all the good kings and bad kings and good dads and bad sons and bad sons and good dads. And, but we don't have time to delve into all that tonight. Second Timothy. Samuel. Thank you. Second Samuel. Where did I get Timothy from? 
Yeah, we were just in Timothy. Thank you. Second Samuel. <coughs> this is another great sin of men and fatherly failures. Uh, we find number two, David was not an engaged father. Number one, Adam left a legacy of sin. Number two, David was not engaged. We won't read the whole story, but 2 Samuel chapter 13 tells a, an awful story of some of David's children. There ended up being a, a one brother raped a sister, a half-sister, and uh, just a terrible situation. It goes on to say that that half-sister's brother ends up murdering the, the brother that ended up raping her. And Where was David during all this time? David did a lot of things right. At work, he was a phenomenal. As a king, tremendous. Warrior, amazing. Uh, musician, fantastic. But what about home? What about home? And if you and I aren't careful, men, we will do a great job in our careers and we will fail at home. And everybody can love us. And we can go home and ignore our wife and children. We want to be an engaged father. We see this in the, in the life of David. Even after all this was done, let's look and see how this played out. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. But when King David heard all of these things, he was very wroth. That means he was very mad. David was very mad when he found out what had happened. But what did he do about it? Nothing. Who'd he punish? Nobody. What steps did he take to bring stability back to his family? Nothing. Nothing. And it goes on to say in verse 22, And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. Absalom, after a few years of David doing nothing, Absalom stepped in, and killed his brother Amnon. Then David didn't handle that situation either. Eventually let Absalom come back, but didn't really handle the situation, let him come back to the kingdom. After a few years of Absalom behind the scenes, turning the people away from his father, Absalom tries to take over uh, David's kingdom and, and does a coup. David, as an elderly man, is on the run for his life. Why did all this happen? Because David didn't deal with things. He was, right. he was not, from everything we can see, he was not an engaged father. And let me help every man in the room. We go to work and we work hard. And we come home and we want to rest or do things we enjoy. But the most important work we have is not for our, the company we work for or at our own business or at our job the most important work we have is with our families. It is not okay for you to go to work and work all day and come home and check out. It's time that after work you come home and check in. The drive home needs to be flipping a switch, not to where I'm done working today, but now I'm, gonna, I'm going to focus on my most important duties, and that's my family. If you come home and just sit in a lazy boy and turn on the TV and block everybody out or come home and go out to the garage or come home and go out and work on the yard. Or, and, and listen, your wife didn't get married so she could have someone pay her bills. She got married to you because she wanted to spend time with you. Yeah. 
I know, I don't know why she would make that choice, but she did. That was her choice. And a lot of ladies have wept over the years saying, why does my husband, he works hard and he does a lot of things right, but he, he, he doesn't come home when he comes home. Let me help every dad here. Getting mad about something is not the same as being engaged in the situation. A lot of dads, when something bad happens, they'll blow up and, oh, I did my job. No, blowing up is not, <laughs> is not your role. It's coming in and giving wisdom and stability and correction and love. Focus, follow through until the situation's done. Adam left a legacy of sin. David was not an engaged father and his family suffered for it. Look at 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2. We'll give you number 3. The third fatherly failure we find, 1 Samuel chapter 2, we learn about Eli. Eli was a priest. He did a lot of things right, but he got to the end of his life. He had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. We won't take time to look at the whole story. His sons were in the ministry. They worked in the ministry representing God, but they were terrible men, terrible men. They actually had an extortion racket. It's almost like a, a mob-type situation where they had literally built a racket of extortion, uh, forcing people. They would force certain offerings. They would come in and demand what part of the, the sacrifice they wanted. They weren't doing the sacrifices the way God intended. They were immoral men, openly committing adultery and fornication, uh, where everybody knew it. I mean, this was a, a bad situation. And Eli, technically, as the, the priest above them and as their father, he committed two great failures. The first is, as a father, he didn't restrain his children. And as the priest, he didn't get the spiritual life in order because they were his children. I want to show you some verses here that are truly sad. And look at verse 27, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 27, we'll read through verse 29. <clears throat> and there came a man of God unto Eli, this is how God spoke to people in that day, he would send a man of God, and said unto him, thus saith the Lord, did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Eli was from the, the priestly lineage. Verse 28, and did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel be my priest to offer upon mine altar to burn incense to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire unto the children of Israel? And the answer to these things is yes. Uh, his family had been supremely blessed. This was a wonderful high position. He was the head of all the priests in Israel at the time. But look at verse 29. Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of my people. And this was the great sin of Eli. Number three, Eli let sin go. Eli didn't punish his children. I said this morning that one of the father's jobs and one of the parents' jobs is to set boundaries and then apply correction and training whenever those boundaries are crossed. Eli, it was his job to restrain his sons, to teach them better, to punish them, to kick them out if necessary, Honestly, the sins they were doing under Old Testament law, they could have been killed for. 
And Eli not only didn't correct them at all, he spoke to them, and they didn't listen. And he said, well, I tried. But the Bible gives another little detail here that he was living off of their sin. The Bible talks about how Eli, at the end of his life, was a very fat man. Matter of fact, how he died was as an old, fat man. Usually old people are skinny, right? Uh, the older you get, it gets harder to put on the pounds. But he was so lived such a, such a luxurious life that as an elderly man, he was heavy. And he literally, he got bad news and fell off of his chair and broke his neck. He was that feeble and fat. And... Uh, such a, a visible illustration of how weak he was in dealing with his children and how he was living off of their sin. This is a, an important lesson for all of us. We all love our children, but if my kids sin, it's still sin. I have known, and I don't know of any issues in the congregation nowadays, but I have known in my almost 20 years of being here, sometimes we have parents who their children can do no wrong. And that's always a mistake. I've had to go to parents on maybe a child does something wrong at camp or does something in a youth situation that I think parents need to know about. Or, or I find out, I hear about something that uh, needs to be addressed. There have been parents over the years that if I go to those parents and try to try to work with that, the parents get mad at me for even suggesting that their children might do something wrong. Now that's different that if you came to me and said, hey, you know, your son's selling drugs on the corner, I'm probably not going to believe you right off the bat, right? That's different. But I also, and I've, I've been very clear over the years that I'm not surprised when my children sin because my children are sinners, <laughs> right? It, it shouldn't be a shock, uh, I've known them since they were literally born. Uh, they are sinners. And we have to have the type of love for our children that says, I love you and I, you're always accepted, but if you do wrong, I will punish you. I will restrain you. I will correct you. You won't do wrong in my house. You won't do wrong under, under my authority. It can't happen. And that's one of the toughest things a, a parent has to do. And it's hard to know where to draw those lines. When your children get to be adults, they have their own life now. Uh, and, and those some difficult situations. But certainly, the lines are pretty clear that, that when uh, they're, they're young and they're under our authority, the lines are fairly clear, folks. It's our responsibility to lead and guide them. But here in this situation, these were adult men. We're, we're finding sometimes in... In Christianity today, you will have a, a father who had a good church and a good ministry. He's been faithful his whole life. And maybe his children go into to ministry too, but they begin changing things and really uh, perverting the ministry. And the father who's done right his whole life not only doesn't correct the children, but will elevate them and say, we will promote you. And... Eli's great sin was he let sin go. And, and look at how God framed this. God says, you honor your children above me. You care more what your children think than you care what I think, God says. And that's a real problem. So we learned the fatherly failures. Number one, Adam left a legacy of sin. Number two, David was not engaged. Number three, Eli let sin go. 
Number four, this is an easy one. Genesis chapter 25, let me read you a verse. Uh, verse 28, and Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Let me give you a number four. Isaac played favorites. Isaac played favorites. It is so important that as a parent, you don't have a favorite child. We've got to love all the kids the same. We love all the kids the same. You might get along with some better because your personalities are more alike, or you might struggle with some because your personalities are more alike. But there should be, it should be well known in the house that mom and dad love everybody the same. The same rules apply to everybody. We love my, this is one thing that my mom did extremely well. There were no favorites. She beat us all the same. No, I'm kidding, Mom. I'm kidding. Uh, she, she really did a good job teaching us that I don't love any of you more than the other. I'd die for each one of you, but you're all the same. I love you the same. You're not the same, but I love you the same. I think this is so important. Favoritism causes a lot of problems, uh, and you can see it in families fairly quickly. Let me tell grandparents. Grandparents don't have favorites. Don't have favorites. You've, you've got to do this right. Here's the problem. Sometimes it will look like you have a favorite because you treat children differently. For example, if you have one children that basically is doing the right thing consistently, you can... Uh, have a, a more positive relationship with that child. If you have one child that's constantly breaking the rules, you have to constantly get onto that child. It might look like you're playing favorites because you can be uh, a little bit more positive with this one than you can be with the one who's constantly disobeying. It is so important that through all of those differences, everybody in the house knows it's not a matter of love, it's a matter of obedience. Sometimes people will say, oh, pastor, uh, over the years... Uh, a few people would say, well, pastor has favorites. And I would try to explain, no, it's not that I have favorites, but imagine if I, if I as a pastor or you as a parent, you have two children that you love the same. One child is surrounded by things that you are called by God to hate. And they're participating in things that you are called by God to hate. And the other one is surrounded by things that are good and righteous and they're doing things that are good and righteous. The love for the individual's the same, but everything they're surrounding themselves with, I have to respond differently to. Does that make sense to you? But it's so important that you point out it's the sin, not the person. It's the disobedience. It's not the individual. That's why it's so important that parents never look at a child and say, you're bad. You always do the... One of the most fundamental truths in child rearing is you condemn the action, not the person. This action, lying is unacceptable. Lying is a sin, not you're a liar. I don't know how to stop being a liar, but I can stop telling lies, right? So always... Praise the person and the actions, condemn the actions, never the person, all right? And don't play favorites. Number five, and lastly, Genesis chapter 19, one of the saddest stories in the Bible. Is this interesting to you? Genesis chapter 19, 
and we'll look at these uh, final verses. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, some of the saddest verses in the Bible. One of the saddest stories for sure. We don't have time to go through it, but if we were to take time and, and go back and look, Lot was Abraham's nephew. And Lot's father died. Abraham took him in and treated him as one of his, his own children. Lot was extremely blessed because of his relationship with Abraham. Abraham, of course, Abraham at covenant. Abraham was mightily blessed. Their, their uh, possessions got so big that they needed to create some separation between them. And Abraham, and this shows the humility of Abraham, he goes to Lot and says, you pick which way you want to go, and I'll go the other way. Now, really, that was Abraham's choice. He could have rightly just chosen wherever he wanted to go, and Lot just be thankful that he had been blessed and had enough possessions for it to be a problem. But the Bible gives a detail about Lot that he had pinched his tent towards Sodom. He wasn't in Sodom, but he was looking towards Sodom. When he chose the land, Lot in his immaturity and selfishness actually chose the best of the land rather than Abraham who he owed everything to. He said to Abraham, well, you take the worst part and I'll take the best part. The problem was that best part of the land was closest to the wicked city that historically we know of in the Old Testament, <laughs> in, in the promised land. This, this, this place called Sodom. And he moved toward Sodom. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. Eventually we find Lot living in Sodom, living the life of a rich man in Sodom. Uh, Sodom was intensely wicked. Uh, at one point it's so wicked that two angels come to visit Lot and they look like men and the townspeople start beating on Lot's door because there's two new men in the city and they wanted to rape them. Uh, it's like you don't even know these people, they just walk in. That, but that, that was the, the moral climate of the city. I mean, wickedness that it would be hard for us to, to really understand. But Lot had been so infected by the wickedness that he told the townspeople, no, please don't, don't take these men because they're under my roof. And, and of course, the, that part of the, the world had very strict laws about hospitality and how you treated people that, that came to visit you. And he, it was interesting that he was willing to adhere to that law at the expense of his own daughters. So I, I don't mean to be crude, but it's just well, the way the Bible says it. He, he tells these people that wanted to take these men and abuse them, he said, no, don't take these men because they're, they're guests under my roof, but you can have my daughters and do with them what you will. Imagine the, the perversity, how far someone would have to go for a father to say, I want to save face and hold, uphold the law of hospitality but you can take my daughters and, and physically and, and morally abuse them, and I don't have a problem with that. That shows the wickedness. And Lot, who had come from a good place, had begun to acclimate to the sin of Sodom. If I take a, a glass of hot water and I put it into the room, eventually it will acclimate to what's called room temperature. 
And if you and I aren't careful and we get out of church, we get away from God's word, or maybe we just get away from God in our heart, if you're not careful, you will begin to acclimate to the room temperature of the culture. Whatever, whatever's going, whatever they think's right, that's just kind of where you settle. And that's a terrible thing. The last fatherly failure here is Lot allowed worldliness to destroy his home. Lot allowed worldliness to destroy his home. If God had found ten righteous people in, in Sodom, he wouldn't have destroyed it. Ten righteous people would be Lot, his wife, his daughters, and their husbands. If Lot had just managed to get his own house to follow God, he could have saved a large city. But he didn't. God sends two angels, tells him that he's going to destroy Sodom. Even then, Lot doesn't want to leave. He's dragging his feet. If we were to read the story, and I recommend you read it either later tonight or tomorrow... The angels physically grabbed Lot and drug him out of the city, not because he deserved it, but as a favor to Abraham. The angels drug Lot and his wife out of the city. His wife turned around and looked back at the city and turned into a pillar of salt. You might think that's a pretty harsh judgment, which, by the way, salt is what they should have been. You know, we're called to be the salt of the the earth, they should have been the salt in Sodom, preserving it, keeping it from getting so bad, but no, they were infected by it. I I seriously doubt that his wife turned back and gave a fleeting glance and God turned her to a piece of salt. I really believe that, I mean, that's where her heart was. And it's hard to blame her in some ways. Her daughters were there, their grandchildren. But she turned, I imagine her reaching, and she didn't really want to go. And I can imagine God saying, if that's where your heart is, I'm going to turn you into what you should have been the whole time. That's right. So ultimately, it is Lot and his two daughters that are rescued. Lot complains about where God was going to take him and asked to go to a cave and a series of events we won't get to, but it just shows again the selfishness and immaturity of this now Older man, wealthy man. It was all about him. It was all about what he wanted, all about what he felt. So he and his two daughters are in this cave together. And his daughters had been so perverted by the community that they had lived in and the sin that the father had allowed to infect their home that the best plan that they could come up with is we're going to commit incest with our father so that we can have children by our father so his lineage can continue. And the Bible goes into some detail here that we won't get into tonight. But look at Genesis chapter 19 and verse 36. They got Lot drunk. So that he wouldn't know what was going on. At least his daughters felt like, well, this idea is so crazy, dad won't even go for it. But never forget what one generation does in moderation, the next generation does in excess. You and I may be able to allow some sin to come in our house and stop. But we may not realize that we're bringing sin into our home that our children are going to run towards. We've got to be careful. Look at verse 36. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. 
And these two children became two nations that were a thorn in Israel's side for generations. What was his big mistake? He allowed worldliness to infect his family. It's so important that as the dad, dads, I want you to listen to me. Men, I want you to listen to me. It is a sad fact that often the lady is the most spiritual person in the home. And good job to you ladies for wanting to be spiritual. But God's plan is, no, sir, if you need to learn from your wife, if you need to to grow, whatever, but you set the spiritual temperature. We have a rule in my house, and it's a rule that I, I try to live by. It's not always easy, but I try to live by If my wife is right, then why don't I be right with her? Why would I want to fight her just because it was her idea? (laughs) Right? And sometimes men, we get a little proud that sometimes our wives are right, and we still won't fight because, or we'll still fight them because it was our idea. When I was dating my wife, I realized that as a young man, and you young men, listen up. When I was dating my wife, I decided that I was going to set the pace for our dating. The average young man will, do, will be as immoral as their girlfriend lets them. And What an indictment. No, the average young man should say, I'm going to set the pace for this relationship. We're going to do things the right way. And if you don't want to follow God in our relationship, then clearly I'm dating the wrong woman. But the man has to has to set the pace. The man has to say, no, I'm not going to leave a legacy of sin like Adam. The man has to say, David was not an engaged father. If I have a family or if God ever gives me a family, I'm going to go home from work and get to work and be the best husband and father I can be. And Eli let sin go. A dad sometimes has to make some hard calls and say, no, we're not going to do this. And just because you're my son or just because you're my daughter, we're not going to rubber stamp whatever wickedness is going on under my authority of leadership. We can't have that. And by the way, it's awful hard to condemn their sin when we're involved in it ourselves. We have to keep ourselves clean and make sure we don't get infected by worldliness. And of course, don't play favorites. Don't play favorites. Love everybody the same and let everybody know it. Love them the same, spank them the same, give them treats the same, all of those things. And this, this doesn't always mean we also try to teach our children that just because one child gets a benefit doesn't mean they all have to get the same benefit. But we always try to love the same and, and make that known as a foundation. And I think these are wonderful examples for us to learn from uh, from the scriptures fatherly faith